today is from Matthew 1, 18 through 24. It, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose to her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he had he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can clap for God's word. And the little boy who read it three times, Evan, that is awesome. Lord God, we do thank you and praise you uh, for your word, and we pray that on this Christmas Eve it would change us that we would be drawn closer to the central message of Christmas, which is that you are a God who is not distant from us, but that you are with us. We pray that that would come true as we dig into your word at this time. It is in Jesus' name all God's people said, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but for me and my household this year, Christmas has become a noun of sorts. Here's, here's what I mean. We have the most adorable two-and-a-half-year-old. Her name is Sophie. I'll show you a picture. A couple of you are laughing because you've met Sophie, and you know that an Elsa dress and boots and a waffle match her personality perfectly. If you have not met her, she is the most spunky little two-year-old you could ever possibly meet. And this year, she absolutely loves Christmas. Now, admittedly, she doesn't really know what Christmas is yet, but I think that's kind of the best part. Our, our oldest son, Jacob, is almost 11, and so I have at least experience in ages from there, from the beginning. And I would argue that the age of two is probably the best age to celebrate Christmas with a child than any of the others, because at two years old, they're old enough to experience everything that goes with Christmas without being so experienced that they have all of the expectations that you and I have. Even by age three, they get a little too excited about what their brother or sister is getting for Christmas. Uh, they, they sleeplessly wait for Santa or they wake up mom and dad super early. And then they get into eating too many Christmas cookies, which, let's face it, goes until, well, into adulthood. <laughs> But to a two-year-old, everything is still new, still amazing. The lights, the trees, the cookies, the presents. Sophie loves 
all of it. And all of these trappings to her this year, she has been describing with one ambiguous noun, Christmas. This is what I mean. When, when our neighbors, it was like two weeks before Thanksgiving, decided to put up their Christmas lights. How many of you wait until after Thanksgiving to put up your Christmas lights? Show of hands. I don't want to start a fight. All right. How many of you are proud? You don't care. You had them up in July. Show of hands. And how many of you just didn't take them down since last year? And so, you know, at some point, right after Easter, it's like, why bother? It's coming again. So our neighbors, they put them up like two weeks before Thanksgiving. First time Sophie saw the lights all year. And we pull into our driveway, and she looks out the window, and she says, Daddy, look, there's Christmas. And it wasn't. It's Christmas, like Christmas came. It wasn't Christmas is coming. The way she said it was as if Christmas moved in next door and when it was oozing out the front door in the form of Christmas lights. And she was so excited that you could just imagine then what happened two weeks later, the day after Thanksgiving. Sophie was taking a nap. That's when parents of toddlers get everything done, right? And while she was taking a nap, my wife Alyssa put up the Christmas tree and she got out of bed and she came out of her room from her nap and she looked at that tree and she said to Alyssa, did you bring Christmas to me? And it was so cute. It wasn't selfish. It wasn't like it's all mine. She just looked at this tree that was like 100 times taller than her with all of this wonder as if this thing that was distant all the way in the neighbor's yard had instantly become something that was close to her. Could Christmas be for me? And when I heard that question, and she asks it all the time, she walked in to church this afternoon, and she looked at everything, and she said, is that Christmas? And I thought to myself, as every time I heard it, could Christmas be for me? Isn't that the same question you have? Isn't that the same question I have? Is Christmas for me? Because if I'm honest, everything my two-year-old thinks is wonderful and awe-inspiring, if I'm not careful, brings me stress. The lights, for example, can reflect another menial chore and a frustration over that one missing light bulb that takes out the whole strand. And it doesn't happen until after it's up on the tree, right? We have computers in our pockets. How have we not figured that out? I don't know. The presents, they can become a competition. Who can give the best gift or at least keep up with the gifts of our family and friends or if nothing else, outdo ourselves from last year. The parties can become more about the perfect side dishes and the folding chairs than they are spending time with family. Even church can be reduced to just one more thing we have to add to our already overwhelming schedules, which is why some of you might be hoping that my sermon is a little bit shorter this year. And it is. But it's not because what we're doing here isn't important. It's because Christmas is more than what happens in this place. And you need to go out there and you need to experience it as well. Because Christmas, in the words of my two-year-old, is for you. Now, throughout this season, we at St. John's, we've been working through this sermon series since clear before Thanksgiving, and we've been calling it Presence as we've studied God's presence with his people 
from the very beginning of time. And I'm just going to give you a very, very one-sentence answer to what we've learned, is, is that God has been present with his people all along, and that presence is actually the greatest gift we can receive from God and from one another. If you don't believe me, just think about your own family and friends. Is it not the greatest thing to do to give the gift of presence on Christmas, to be with those we love? And yet, how quickly is that presence taken away? Some of us, it's taken away through death. Others of us are robbed of it by the distance between us and our loved ones, or conflict, or simply just getting distracted in our own minds. The, the Sunday we talked about distraction, that whole Sunday, I took out my cell phone and I said, how easy is it to be in the same room as another person and yet not really be present there at all? And yet what we learned as we've studied God's word is that none of this is new. All these things have been drawing people away from God and away from each other for generations, from the very beginning, actually. And at the very beginning, God sent a plan in order to bring us back. He wanted to bring us back into the presence with him, and he wanted to restore our relationship with each other. And that plan came to a culmination on Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. It's the historical day when Jesus was born roughly two millennia ago. But when remembering that day, the gospel writer in the gospel of Matthew that Evan read so well chose to record a memory from a different day. He chose to record something from over 700 years before Jesus would be laid in a feeding trough when his name would be uttered through the ancient Jewish prophet Isaiah. See, the truth is, for all of human history, God never fully disappeared from the presence of his people. But over and over again, he had to remind them that he was there. They would get distracted. They would get pulled away. And so he would remind them sometimes through wonderful, beautiful acts, like, like an act of nature, like, like the, the rainbow that formed for Noah and his descendants after uh, the, the giant flood, or, or through the delivering of God's word, through the tablets of the Ten Commandments that came from Mount Sinai, down like, like letters from the heavens. God's presence was communicated to a young David before he became a king through the form of smooth stones and a slingshot that took down the mighty Philistine Goliath. Or Job, you've heard the story of Job, when everything was taken away and God spoke from the heavens and restored him to double what he had lost. Now how many of us have heard stories like that and we think, you know, I'd have a lot more faith in God if he just spoke to me through a burning bush or did something like that. How many of you have thought that way in the past? I've thought that way in the past. And it's helpful when we think about that to look back and see that for those who experienced God in that way, that it really didn't help them. See, before that first Christmas, people were so far away from God that God had to perform those signs and wonders just to get their attention. It's like what I have to do to get the attention of my wife, Alyssa, when she's watching those Hallmark Christmas movies. It's like I don't even exist. i got to do all kinds of stuff. I know I may, if you were here for Christmas Eve last year, I made fun of them then too, sorry. But seriously, for you, maybe it's a football game. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's worry. I don't know. But, but we know the feeling, right? We know the feeling of distance. And if we're constantly jumping up and down, trying to get the attention of those we love, we know that that's no way to relate to someone. But that's exactly how the world had come about 700 years before Jesus. 
That's the way the world operated. And 700 years before Jesus, we, we have a history of a nation known as the nation of Israel. You've heard that name. And that's the line through which Jesus came to be with us. And the name Israel actually has a definition in Genesis 32. It means you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Since the very beginning, God and humanity have been caught in a cosmic struggle, and Israel was set apart to overcome those barriers for everyone, including you and me, to end the struggle, to bring us back to God, to overcome. And yet 700 years before Jesus was even a thought in his teenage mother Mary's mind, the nation bearing the name Israel was in shambles. Israel had been torn into two, and one of the nations, Judah, this is where Jerusalem was located, had a king, and this king's name was King Ahaz, and he was surrounded by his enemies, and there was nowhere to go, and so God sent him a message through this ancient prophet Isaiah, and he said, tell King Ahaz that I'm here. Tell him that he doesn't have to be afraid. Don't lose heart. Have faith. And it sounded a lot like the same message that we instinctively give to our loved ones when they're going through stuff. When they're going through a difficult season of life, of pain, of loss, of fear, we often say, it's all going to be okay, right? Well, King Ahaz wasn't comforted by any of it. And I imagine that it's because Isaiah's words sounded a lot like somebody who tells the same thing to you when, when your loved one just died. Oh, they're, it's going to be okay. They're, they're in a better place. It's, it's not that you don't want to believe that. It's not that maybe you don't believe that. But, but when the enemy is pressing it all around you, it's all going to be okay just doesn't always cut it, does it? See, some of you here, that's how you see church. I saw church that way for 17 years of my life. It's, it's just this big institutional band-aid that says it's all going to be okay. And you think, if that's all this is, I don't need that. So in a final effort, God said this through Isaiah. He said to King Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. You don't, you don't believe that I'm with you? You don't believe that I, I'm going to help you to be victorious? You don't believe that I'm going to rescue you? Ask me for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. You can almost see God jumping up and down, waving his arms, saying, I'm here. Ask for a sign. And I love this because it shows us the heart of God. The heart of God is that he wants to be with us when we struggle. He wants to rescue us from our enemies. And so Isaiah 7, 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And God wanted to. God told him to ask for a sign. It even sounds noble. I won't put the God to the test, but, but it wasn't. The reason Ahaz didn't want a sign is because he was so weary, he didn't believe that God could save him anymore. And I wonder if maybe, maybe that's the reason that, that God put this story on my heart to tell you tonight. Because how many of you who have been going to church your whole life have, have ever heard the story of King Ahaz on Christmas Eve? Anybody? Hey, we've had three services, and not a single person except for Marty, who's been here for the last two, has put their hand up, Right? And yet God put this on my heart to share it with you. And I think the reason why is because maybe you're a little bit like King Ahaz this Christmas. You've heard the story. You know about the shepherds. You know about the angels. You've been told that the Christmas message means that it's all going to be okay. But you're just not buying it this year. 
And so I want to show you that Ahaz didn't buy it either. And Isaiah said this, he said, he said, here now, house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. If you don't want to ask for a sign, God loves you so much, he's going to give you one anyway. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him, say it with me, Emmanuel. We'll call him Emmanuel. Now do you see how this ties into Christmas? The word Emmanuel in the Hebrew language was a different word. It wasn't a word you'll find in Genesis. It wasn't a word you'll find before Isaiah. It is a word that does not mean God is saying, I am with you. It does not mean God is saying it's okay. It is a message from the people saying God is with us. And that's a very important distinction. Because God said, basically, if, if you're not going to ask for a sign, then, then I'm going to give you the greatest sign there is. I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up, and my presence is going to be so clear that you're going to be the one to say, God is with us. It's God saying that if the enemy looks so big and you can't even muster the words to pray, not only does God say it's going to be okay, but he will sit next to you and he will sit down with you for however long it takes until it is. So that when you go through the pain and suffering of this life, you may not have all the answers, but you'll know God is with us. My second Christmas at St. John's, I, I shared this quote. I don't even know where it comes from, but it totally speaks to this point. When life caves in, you don't need reasons. You need comfort. You don't need some answers. You need someone. And Jesus does not come to us with an explanation. He comes to us with his presence. Pastor Rick Warren, he's pastor of one of the largest churches in the country. He wrote the second most best-selling book in the world, The Purpose Driven Life. And he said almost the exact same words a few years ago when in 2013 he and his wife Kay lost their son Matthew by suicide. He said this in his first sermon after taking several months away. He said this. He said, pain is not relieved by explanations. Pain is relieved by the presence of God in your life. When you're hurting, you don't need answers. You need God's presence. And so 700 years after King Ahaz couldn't even muster the faith to ask for a sign, God sent his son. And this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And it was so powerful on that day 
that even with angels singing and the star of Bethlehem lighting the path for the wise men, all of those miraculous signs just pointed to the greatest sign there was, which was a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And the reason it's the greatest sign is because as a child that would grow up, God could do what the stars and the angels never could. As one of us, God could be with us. So that when my two-and-a-half-year-old Sophie asks, Daddy, is Christmas for me? I could say to her with confidence, yes, Sophie. Christmas is for us all. God with us. And so that's my prayer for you on this Christmas, that you know that God is with you. And so I want to lead us in a prayer right now. And I'm going to say the first line of the prayer. And and if you believe this to be true, if you want to believe this to be true, even if you're struggling in the midst of what I've just shared with you from God's word, I want you to say those words out loud anyway and allow God to sit next to you in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through right now. Let's pray. To those who have experienced great loss this year, God is with us. To those filled with anger and pain over others who have hurt us, God is with us. To those experiencing the agony of loss, Christmas without someone we love, God is with us. To those riddled with guilt and shame, desperate for the forgiveness that can only come from our Creator, God is with us. To those facing death, eager yet weary to believe in the promise of eternal life with you, God is with us. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that because you were born, we can say with confidence, God is with us. You came to be with us. And we thank you in the midst of a world that can feel so lonely, in the midst of relationships with marriages, with families that can be so distant, in the midst of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, it is a comfort to know that nothing compares to the reality of Christmas that says that we believe in a God who loves us so much that he would choose to leave his throne from heaven and come down and be with us on earth. 